0: my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote
1: work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman, and we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building
0: a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready, and they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening! (music) Hello. Welcome to the Beach Commute podcast. Today, we've got a super special guest and even more special because it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Wade.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Hello. How you doing? Everybody,
0: meet Wade Sellers. He is an amazing person, full of great energy, and you're getting extra energy today because it's his birthday. Wade and I met what? How? Like two and a half years ago? Is it? Is that when it
1: was? It's like three years. It's three, it's definitely like three. The nomad thing started like four years ago, and I met oh you about nine gosh. months into it. So we've known That's each other for three something years.
0: Wow, three something years, which is crazy. I can't believe it's been that long. We met. Well, nomading, we'll get to our story there. Um, I'm going to let Wade introduce himself, tell you a little bit about who he is, what he does, and then we're going to back up from the beginning and let you know his nomad to non-nomad to maybe back to nomading journey, and it's going to be a fun one. So welcome, Wade.
1: Thank you so much. This is so cool. It's so cool to do it on my birthday. Like you said, I'm high energy already, then you're getting the extra punch of energy uh, <laughs> today, which is super cool. And um, so It's special. awesome to be on here. Uh, so hello. Hello, listeners. Nice to meet you. My name is Wade <laughs> Sellers. Uh, I'm, I'm a digital nomad turned non-digital nomad turned digital nomad or no the other way non-digital nomad turned digital nomad turned non-digital nomad into a hybrid thing. We'll get to all that. Yes. Um, I'm in the I'm in the mobile app industry when it comes to trade. I was a coder for a long time. Uh, before that, I was in the FBI. I was in the military before all that. I have quite a crazy little backstory. And these days, I live in New York City after a fun nomad journey. And then the pandemic brought us all a little a little closer to home. I feel like for a lot of us. And so I came back, and I'm in New York City now. I'm in Queens. I'm looking out at a beautiful sky and. I don't know. I don't know. What else do you want to know about me?
0: That's a perfect intro. I'm going to dig in with some more questions. But that was a great <laughs> overview. And for anyone listening, I think what's really fun, what I want you to take from Wade's story today is there's no one size fits all when it comes to nomading. A lot of people believe when you travel, you sell everything you own, you travel for the rest of your life. And like, that's the decision, right? But I think what's so fun is you went from not being a nomad to accidentally kind of finding this opportunity to live nomadically. We'll get into it come back to like a kind of permanent home and now maybe doing a hybrid. So there's really no one way. So you mentioned FBI, you mentioned military. Let's back, let's start there. Like what did you do before you were a nomad? Cause I think it's so, your, your story is a fun one. So what was your life like before and how did that turn into nomad life?
1: Okay, cool. Uh, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the, the elevator pitch, but I'll extend yeah. it a bit here because we have some cool. time. It'll be fun. Um, all right. So I grew up in small town, Pennsylvania and I basically graduated high school, went to Florida. I went to college for a nursing major, decided by the time that I got accepted into nursing school that I didn't actually want to do that. And it was my excuse to tell my parents why I was going to Florida. (laughs) So I didn't know what I wanted to do after that. And my dad basically said, Well, maybe you should look into the military. He basically joined when he was lost in life around that 19, 20 age there, too. So
0: lost in life.
1: <laughs> yeah. And basically he's like, you know, there's a lot of Coast Guard down there in Florida. Maybe you want to do that. And I was like, that's a great idea. So I joined the Coast Guard, hopped into that. I picked a job that required a top secret clearance because I figured this isn't my full life thing, but maybe I can leverage that in some sort of way. I uh I hopped into that. I started deploying. I went to Kuwait. I went to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. I had some really neat jobs in that. Basically, I was a I was a glorified radio man. They call it an operations specialist, but I would talk to the boats and helicopters while they were out on their missions. Pass the information up to some lieutenant or commander. They'd tell me something, then I'd tell it back to the people. And I was just like a conduit for communication. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what it was. I was just a radio man. <laughs> Over, you know, <laughs> amazing,
0: uh, glorified <laughs> um, radio man.
1: I did that for a while. And then while I was in Cuba, I heard about this internship with the FBI and I said, you know, why the heck not? So I applied for it. I interviewed a few times and I got the job. I was like two of a thousand that were picked, um, two out of a thousand applicant pool to go to Tampa, Florida's FBI office and basically intern for three months. I did that. And then that kind of turned into an offer for a low level analyst type job. They actually gave me, they took my top secret clearance from the military, then they gave me a polygraph, so I had to do a weird lie detector test while I was there, and I ended up getting, like, an even higher security clearance, and then... I didn't really do anything in my internship, to be honest with you. I was in the National Cyber Crimes Division, but it sounds way cooler than it was. I basically turned emails into paragraphs that someone turned into reports, and then I don't know what happens after that. So it was like, it sounds, sounds so good, awesome though. on a resume, but I'm like, I didn't do anything. I literally read emails like, at a desk with a suit on. It's so um, funny,
0: but I feel like so many jobs and what people aspire to—that is actually the truth. So it's actually really cool to that you're so honest. You're honest about everything, which I love. But to to be really candid about all of it is cool because so many people do glorify that, even in the podcast interviews. And yeah, it's like, what's real life like? Like, what are the glory parts of life really?
1: It's so true. It's so true. Even when you hear things like, Oh yeah, I'm the CEO of a company and you're like, wow, that must be fantastic. Do you know what CEOs do? They talk on the phone. They sit in meetings all day. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. And they have bosses. They're called shareholders and they have to, <laughs> they have to please them and it's not easy. It's so <laughs> so true. it's so true. Like these jobs, when you see it on paper, they look incredible. Yeah. And I love that my resume is like a showstopper because it gives me the opportunity <laughs> to have an interview. Yeah. And truly show my greatest asset, which is my personality and like my fit for a culture. It's not really the jobs I do. I'll do the work. That's fine. And I'll Google my way to the finish line. But I think it's the personality (laughs) that really is the value that I bring in a company. So I'm glad the resume gets me into the phone call or into the Zoom interview, right?
0: Yeah. It's a big start. So how did you go? So you're working for the FBI as the national cybercrime glorified on paper job. What happened next?
1: So the next thing that happened is I went home for Christmas break to Tennessee, and everyone was being lame one evening. Like Everyone was going to bed early, so I decided I'm going out. I went to a small little dive Irish bar that had karaoke machine, and me and one dude at the bar and the bartender literally went back and forth singing karaoke to each other and (laughs) had a blast of an evening. And so you, <laughs> yeah. And while it was going on, the guy that was sitting at the bar, he was just like kind of talking about his job, but very cryptically. And he didn't know anything about my my like job and career, but I okay. knew kind of the things he was saying. And then eventually, in a moment of weakness, when I was good and drunk, I said, "Hey." I just want to let you know, I got a top secret clearance with the FBI. I think you do an interesting job. Do you have a job for me? And he's like, <laughs> probably. And so I sent on my resume, like fully hung over the next morning. And a few months later, I was interviewed and I ended up working um basically like kind of like on spy planes in Afghanistan, but... Like, like fixing the equipment type stuff and things like that. So I ended up going to Afghanistan. I was 27. I made 160K a year. I had three months off a year and I was working in Afghanistan. And I was like, oh my God, that thing that I wanted to think to aspire to when I joined the military, I, I got there. I did it. I did the thing and
0: karaoke over christmas break
1: (laughs) literally you never know who you're sitting next to you just have no idea and he ended up becoming my program manager i i flew into afghanistan and he was there and i was like what's up dude i'm here (laughs) and that was like the second time we had met then it was the bar then an interview process then met him in the desert
0: (laughs) i always thought afghanistan was part of your military experience i didn't realize that was the connection it was separate
1: it was separate, yeah. I did Kuwait while I was over there, and then I did Cuba, and then Afghanistan was with this with this uh, defense contractor job. Private company. Um, yeah. Once again, sounds amazing on paper, and I get to put some really cool proper nouns down. But again, <laughs> I was mainly like a radio repairman and I talked on the radio and just kind of passed information to somebody like in DC (laughs) or California. And then they told me what to tell like Marines on the ground. I was just like, again, a conduit of communication, uh, you know, so like no responsibility except for playing telephone, but just like on a very (laughs) like important mission type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did that. And then one day while I was out in Afghanistan, I, we got rocket attacked. So basically in the middle of the day, I wasn't even like doing anything important. I was just sitting on the plane, kind of running through the computers and the alarms went off and they, there's a gun that shoots in the sky that tries to shoot things that are coming at us. And I heard that. And then I heard a huge explosion. I look out kind of like out the cockpit of the plane that I was on's uh, windshield and I see this explosion and it's like, can you swear on this podcast? Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, holy shit, what's about to go down? Or no, what is going down?
0: I'm on a plane with
1: 2,000 pounds of fuel. I dive out of it and I see a whole bunch of other people running off of the airfield. And I'm like, oh my God. And I mean, it's just like what you would imagine in a movie. I've sprinted off a field while explosions happened behind me. It was very, very scary moment. And oh I got underneath of this kind of upside down, U-shaped, really thick concrete thing that's supposed to withstand a blast if a rocket hits it. And I'm just in there with a bunch of other people. And you know, it, it all lasted about 15 seconds, right? It was just like right. and then nothing, right? And uh that's what they would do. That's how they attack. They sort of like hit and run. And it was a very crazy moment in my life. I was 27 and I was like, what the hell am I doing over here? I'm gonna die. Like I'm not like very pro war. I didn't like the idea that we were killing people. I did like the idea that we were protecting people over there from other bad people over there. Um, That was kind of an honorable feeling. But I was like, I'm going to die over here. I'm 27. I have a whole life here. What am I doing? And all of a sudden, the money wasn't worth it. I got very depressed. I got very uh, just in a really tough, grindy spot because you can't like quit the war. You can't quit the job. There's not like I quit and you fly home. That's not how it works. You have to like wait till a plane like takes you home so i i did that and then there was one night and i still remember the night i have it written down on my my calendar and i text this girl tiffany who was in the army that i worked next to and one evening as we were outside and i smoked at the time i was smoking cigarettes at the time and we're out there and she just calls me out she says wade i don't get it you bitch about your job now all day all night long you make like five times more than me like what the hell do you want to do and at that time, I was just for fun learning how to code iPhone apps, just like while I was just out there doing nothing <laughs> when you're not working. Right. And I said, like, the first time in my life, I finally said, like, what I actually wanted, like, for myself. And I said, I'll Aww. tell you what I want. I want to build iPhone apps, and I want somebody to pay me for it. And thank the stars that Tiffany was the one to ask me that. Tiffany, oh, Tiffany. <laughs> Tiffany joined the military because she wanted to pay off her college debt and while she was in college she went to i believe it was sweden for a graphic design sort of boot camp thing like over the summer during her college career and she just asked are there any boot camps for that stuff and in my head i was like i'm done with college i don't want to go right. back for a computer science degree i'm over that and i was like i don't know boot camps so you know i went in i hopped on google and i was like iphone app boot camp and lo and behold, there's like 12 companies in the US that all do offer this program for a couple of months. You give them a few thousand and you just go do it. And right. so I Googled everything and I didn't sleep that night. And the next day I applied. <laughs> I had Love an that. interview with the CEO of one of the schools in the middle of the night in Afghanistan. He was like, I don't normally take these, but your story is too cool. I wanted to talk to you myself.
0: <laughs> for that resume and does get you in places.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, I, I, I name dropped a few things. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta use what you got, right? You know, you're yep. in competition. So I, you know, by the end of it, he said, he said, "Look, we normally take this to voting. I'm just going to tell him your story. You're in. When do you want to start?" <laughs> and so I said, "I'm going to round up this contract. I don't want to burn a bridge, but I am done with this." And so a few months later, I was in October. Uh, I was in Chicago to learn for two months. Uh, I moved to Denver after going through the boot camp, which was the hardest thing I've ever learned for for eight weeks. I just like 16 hours a day. I wow. I sat in that room and I learned how to build apps, and it was the hardest thing I ever did. And Um, from there, I moved to Denver and joined a startup and created the first, the world's first cannabis scanning iPhone app to scan all the plants and grow houses and keep track of all the stuff because (laughs) all the illegal drug dealers now had licenses to be legal business owners, but they don't know how to do paperwork because that would have been called evidence before. And so we help them, you know, (laughs) keep track of their stuff. So when the state says, where's this weed? They can go, oh, it's here, sir.
0: That's
1: amazing. (laughs) Um, that was how I got into coding i just I just took a dive into it. um luckily had some savings from all that war business stuff and right. uh and just rolled the dice. You know I did that for a while. that turned into a job with GoPro, working on a video editing app called Splice that turned into a job in Florida working for a company that built spy apps for cops. Basically, I wrote a blog post about my past and my current and was like, "I love that I've done this transition, and then some dude. That was the CEO of a company said, I read your blog post. Do you want to take your old life and mix it with your new life? New life? We make apps (laughs) that help human trafficking and stop crimes against children for cops. They're like spy apps. And I was like, That sounds badass. Yeah, I want to do that. So I did that. And then, you know, I was I was doing all these things with coding apps. I got super, super burnt out. And by the way, feel free to stop me and ask any feelings. No, I'm. I'm just you're just like you. a
0: great storyteller. I'm just. Like, you guys can't see me. I'm just like jaw dropped, like leaning <laughs> in, like just you. I, I love these stories. They're so fat. I, I love your stories because like the way you transition from like thing to thing in a way that seemingly doesn't make sense. Like if you just look from the outside, is so fun because you've had the guts to like keep pivoting and do those things. It's a ton of
1: pivots. It's so a ton of pivots. I get bored after so a year or two, and I need that. something else. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Um, I love uh, I think it's fascinating for anyone listening to hear because so many people that I coach just don't have the courage to make those pivots because it's scary to see like you feel like you've wasted time or don't know how it connects. And so it's cool to see like just to hear other stories of where it's taken you. So, yeah, GoPro to spy company for cops, like keep it coming.
1: (laughs) Well, and we can put a pin in that um, why I think I'm able to pivot. I haven't I have an answer to that, too. um, But we can talk about that after when we get to the end here. Okay, so at that point in time, I I coded my face off. I mean, literally, you encoding, especially with me, like no CS degree, like you, in coding, everyone thinks you're a genius, but truly, you just Google everything all day long. You're just the person that's willing to sit there for 12 hours and Google everything. That's why they pay you. You're willing to do that. And so you build stuff. And I Googled my way to the finish line the whole way. And in the end, I was quite burnt out just doing nothing but coding day in and day out I wanted something else. And one day when I was at work coding, uh I needed I Googled a question, and you would go to this site called Stack Overflow where coders ask other coders questions and other coders answer it. Right. And there was this job ad on the side, and it talked about it's just serendipity every time. You know, it just like you you're, put you're your you look for something life, yeah. and and now it highlights right in front of you. And yeah. there was this job that was about it was for a company that They built a platform that allowed people to build mobile apps without code, kind of like very what you see is what you get, WYSIWYG sort of thing, and you puzzle piece it together. But they were looking for kind of like tech support, and they were looking for someone that has customer service experience but is a coder. And that is actually like a unique thing because most coders don't want to talk to the end client. They just want to lock into code and be like, no, 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 you go go deal with the users. But I wanted to talk to them. So I decided that evening, like, I want this job. So I called off sick the next day, and I spent nine hours making a four-minute YouTube video to go with my resume, because the problem that I had was my resume says, wow, technical experience, wow, military background, wow, management skills, things like that. But it doesn't say anything about personality, and I wanted to like really make sure that (laughs) I was gonna get this job. I went, I went into that day with the goal of like, I'm going to make them feel bad that they had to turn me down. I'm going to make them feel like they're going to go to HR and be like, can we please hire two? Because we have to hire this other guy for experience, but we really want this dude. And like, that was my goal. I was like, I'm going to oh make gosh. them cry because they can't hire me. That's how like, good I'm going to do. So I wrote this or I, I, uh, I scripted and shot, I like, uh, uh, did this whole YouTube video, this little four minute video. I made it private. And then I went on LinkedIn, uh, when I sent my resume in and I went on LinkedIn, I bought the premium so you could message people. And I messaged <gasps> oh everybody at the company and just said, hi, I just want to let you know, I applied for a job. I'm not sure exactly where it goes to cause it's through like an indeed.com thing. Right. But I also wanted to let you know, I attach this video. Could you please get this to whomever is the hire person?
0: Right. And,
1: um, and so the next day there was like fifty-five views on that video, and I was like, this thing went viral in the company. They all <laughs> so, like, watched send it.
0: Send it to everybody. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Name another applicant that everyone on the team already knows. Like nobody. And, like, I'm the only one that everyone knows. 55
0: times knew. probably watched. 55. And it's so cool that you could track that too, because normally you send it out into outer space and you're like, I don't know. Yep.
1: I just gave him a private link and I saw the view count and I didn't share it anywhere else. So I saw fifty-five and I was like, Haha, they pass us around their little Slack channel, I bet. That's so, so
0: fun. I love that you went above and beyond in that way too. Inside our, our course where we help people get remote jobs, a lot of what I teach inside of it is different ways, like you're saying, to stand out and make these connections. And so many people, I think, often assume it's like the rapid fire. We're like, all right, here's kind of what I want to do. Let me just apply to every job opening that comes and hopefully, you know, something will work out. But like you said, when you go over, you're like, I spent nine hours, I bought the LinkedIn premium, my message, I did this. Like, that's how you do it. That's, you know, that's one way, but like to really put all, not all your eggs in one basket, but when you decide you want something and I know this about you, it's like, you're going to go get it and you're going to find a creative way. And it's, it's so fun to hear this story.
1: Totally. It's never a quantity over quality. I no. never blanket my resume out blindly. Like, you know, like you do these things, you find a job that you want. Now, when I did that, I knew what I was doing. Like I knew my resume would speak for itself on like uh, it was as right. a showstopper, but it didn't say anything about customer service. So what do I do? I make a video. What does the video do? It shows my personality. It lets me tell my story. I also explained in it that I believe that your job requirements are actually the minimum for this position. And I, <laughs> and I think what you actually really need is a technical evangelist for your company, not right. just a tech support person. I think right. you need someone to work with the engineering team to express the problems that the users are having so that you can make your product better for the user. And none of your engineers want to talk to them, which means I know the communication is not getting there. And I, right. in my four and minutes, I that pitched all that
0: skill that has
1: both. And then I edited it and I polished it real good. So now they just heard technical evangelist with video editing experience with a personality with motivation, (laughs) you know, it's all these things. And like my resume didn't, didn't say any of that, you know what I mean? Like I was messing around with like Instagram stories for fun. They don't see that I'm video editing. So I made a video. Now you see proof like, you know, um, so it gives them so much more in four minutes. I didn't just like introduce myself. I showed them like five different skill sets they're going to gain, um, in the end of the day, they not only gave me what I asked for, but they gave me 10% more, they gave me stock options up front and they even said Paul the chief product officer said, "Wait, I want to let you know when we after interviewing you, we went back to the drawing table and rethought the entire position and right. then he said, "Look, I want to make you an offer but before I do, can you realistically do what you what you just said in all the interviews that you can do?" And I said, I don't know, ma'am, but I'm gonna give it a try. Ain't nobody else gonna try harder than I am. I was like, I was like, it's the same thing that I told you when I worked for the cannabis company when I right. pitched an app idea that I think would serve the cannabis grow houses. They said, "This is so cool, but can you do it?" And I was like, "No, but like, I'll Google it." You know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah. like, I'm just true. And they're like, "All right, well then we'll give it a shot." And that's yeah. what he said. He's like, "Can you do it?" And I was it. like, "I was like, I don't know, ma'am, but ain't nobody gonna try harder than me. So let's give it a shot." You know? And, yeah. Uh,
0: it's such an important lesson, though, Wade. There's there's a stat that I talk to a lot of my clients and more so female clients, um, it, not exclusively to that. But there's a fact that says like men will apply to come. Like if you see a job position and you as a, as a male, this is a general statement that's typically true. Men will apply saying like, I have like 60% of the qualifications. I could probably do it. I'll figure it out. And they apply and they get it and they do it. Whereas females often will look at like a job description and if they don't check 100% of every box and everything, they're like, I'm not qualified. I don't think I can do it. I can't deliver. So what you're saying, you know, whether you're male or female, I just like to point that out um, coming from the female perspective. It's like, if you see a role or something you want, go do it. And I think you're a prime example of like, you can Google anything. You can figure it out. You can try your hardest and be honest about, you know, it's like, hey, this is what I know I can deliver I'm going to figure, you know, I don't know this, but I know I, you know, I'm I can figure it out and I think it's an important lesson for anyone looking you know, whatever that job is. Um, there's just so many good little nuggets here that you're sharing.
1: 100%. P- people don't hire people that can do a job. People hire people they want to work with. They're going to yes. have to see you eight hours a day, five days a week, like <laughs> at the very least, right? They yeah. want to make sure that they like you. Culture fit is so much more. If you have the base level skills and you show motivation, interest, and like you pass the, would I have a beer with them test? That's yes. usually <laughs> like what I call like that technical interview is actually more of a, would I have a beer with them? Yeah. Um, You'll do it. When I got hired for GoPro, I was the least experienced engineer on the team of an app that was bought for sixty million dollars by oh GoPro to basically just stick GoPro into it. And then when I got there, I realized how like this code base is way over my skill level. And yeah. I remember the app that I put together in their like interview. And you know, a couple months down the road, we were having tacos all together like as a group. And I just asked, like, I'm just curious, <laughs> why did curious, you hire me? Why did- hire me like seriously like you guys see me struggle every day and like Aww. you guys rip apart my code every code review and i appreciate it and i know i'm getting right. a little better with it but like why did you even hire me like you guys are brilliant i mean a
0: uh,
1: senior engineer just 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 said we loved your attitude. And I thought that I could be a good mentor to you. So I wanted, I just wanted to try and see if you would do good. He's like, I just wanted you on the team. And then everybody else said, it was a culture fit. You just seem like good energy. We want people like you in the office. And I was like, I got hired because I had a personality and someone that (laughs) the senior engineer felt like he could mold. Like he was, he didn't just think I can help him. He was like, I think I'd like to mentor him. So that's just based on the personality and the drive and motivation. So, you know you think you're getting hired for a job, but it's sort of different.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like you have to be able to do it and have the willingness and like the capability to be able to step in it. But yeah, I used to do a lot of recruiting, which is why I love doing um, career coaching and helping now for the marketing team at Pepsi when I worked there. And we'd look at hundreds of resumes and talk to, you know, everyone's brilliant. Everyone's got a great resume or whatever. And the way you're saying like, would you have a beer with them test? We used to, you know, our team used to say like, do I want to be on a, like a business trip with this person. Like if I got stuck sitting next to a plane for four hours with this person, like, am I going to be excited about it? And it really is like, you know, I interviewed when I was in college, I used to work at the like career center and you know, all these CPG companies and you can feel each one has a really different personality. And I got hired at Pepsi because, you know, I left that interview being like, I, I want to hang out with these people. Like they want to hang out with me. And there's other companies where I was like, Meh, like they're not, they're not quite me. So yeah, yeah, you know, you have to have the willingness and, you know, some of, some of the skills or the ability to learn it, but it really is about, yeah, that personality. Are you a fit? Like, do you have fun? And you definitely bring all that to the table. So from here, how did all of this start to transition to nomad life?
1: Yeah. So, um, okay. So after that last coding job and I got into this customer service job, it was, it was lovely. I loved that. I was (laughs) sort of in code and sort of not um but i was i was living in florida and i was working remotely i was working from a coffee shop but i worked from the coffee shop every day because if i stayed at home i was struggling to get the job done so i went to a coffee shop to mix it up at that time i was watching a ton of youtube videos and it was like Lost leblanc and chris the freelancer and they're all out in bali and they're just doing their thing and i was just like it was complete escapism i was just so sucked into it um i just kept I just kept watching these videos. And then literally like a Thursday evening sort of thing, I'm eating pizza in bed, like no joke, just like sitting in bed, watching YouTube on my iPad, eating pizza. And a spam email comes in from my Chase credit card that basically says, hey, congratulations. It must've been that pizza I bought, but it was like, hey, congratulations. You just cracked a 100,000 miles. You could use this on a round trip, all inclusive Cancun vacation. And I'm like watching YouTube and I was like, I wonder if that like gets me to Bali. And so, cause a hundred thousand points. I was like, that sounds like a lot. I've never Ah. used points before. (laughs) So I like Googled it. You know, I looked it up on their little travel center thing and it was 85,000 points to go one way to Bali. And I was like, Holy shit. (laughs) Hold on a second. This is free. (laughs) I can just go. Uh, and for about 10 minutes, I sat there kind of in silence. I already knew my answer. I already had right. a smile on my face, like, but am I was really like,
0: doing this? <laughs> I was like,
1: hold on, idiot. Like chill out for a second. Like, <laughs> like pulling this trigger is kind of a crazy trigger, but it's always what you want to do. And that evening I, I went, uh, I said December 28th, which was my mom's birthday. I knew I'd be in Tennessee for Christmas. Then my mom's birthday. And I was like, I'll leave on my mom's birthday. That'll be really cool. So I booked the ticket. And I didn't tell anybody. I booked it that night. And I was like, I went to bed and I'm like, holy shit, dude, you're you're going to Bali in three <laughs> months. You better sell all you got. You better sell everything. <laughs> I had a whole apartment worth of stuff. I owned all sorts of stuff. Um, and I had a job. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it all out. So I started to sell everything at a big yard sale in my building, which is a whole funny story in itself. But the, if you want to talk about kind of the job part of it. Yeah. Um, I I knew I was leaving, and I basically said when I pulled the trigger on buying that ticket, I was like, Look, I I mean, I'll figure it out. I'm a coder. I can get another job. I have enough years in. I can always go back to coding, even if it burns me out. I know I can find a remote job in coding. If they don't like it, deal with it. But I was like, I'm already working at the coffee shop. What's the difference? You know, if I have internet, who cares? So I already felt like I could make a successful pitch, but I did take a chance. I didn't, you could go a safer route. I didn't need to buy the ticket then. I could have got the yes and then bought the ticket, but I, that's not how I rolls. I I go a little, (laughs) I go a little out there. So I put myself out there and- you know, uh, two days later, I like was ready, and I talked to Paul, and I said, "Hey, Paul, uh, you know, hop on a hop on a Google Hangout with me." We get on there, and I just said, "Hey, just just blue sky." But if I were to just like, or no, I I said blue sky. I said I'm already working remote, but like, how remote is remote how in remote your eyes? Can I really be? Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was like, how remote is remote to you? And he's like, "What do you have in mind?" And I said. If I were to just buy a ticket to Bali, could I do it? And he was like, well, what does that mean? And I said, you know, right well, I'm just going to go to Bali. I'm going to live in <laughs> Bali. And I'm, I'm going to work, you know, I'll, and, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do the same hours. I'll, I'll work at night instead of day and, you know, nothing's going to really change. And that's what he said. He said after I gave him my like pitch, right. um, I, I said, uh, and he didn't know that I bought the ticket yet. Right? right. I didn't like, I didn't like stick, I didn't put him against the wall, you know, but I, right. I didn't want to guilt him into it, but I just, you know, blue sky. What if I do it? And at the end of the day, he said, well, what's different? And I said, honestly, the only things different is the background behind me, in any <laughs> Google hangout that you and I have. Right. And he's like, all right, well, let me talk to the team. Let me make sure it's all good. And he goes and talks to CTO, CEO, all the people and comes back a couple of days later. And he's like, Everyone thinks it's cool. As long as you can pull it off, um, you know, he's like, he's like, let's test it out. You know, we'll test it out. And I said, okay, that's cool. And then he tells me during that conversation, he's like, I just want to let you know that uh, last year I went on the, it's the thing in Croatia where everybody gets on a yacht, yacht and week. goes out. Yeah, yacht week. So we went out and he did the yacht week thing. And he's like, he's like, I honestly am a little jealous. I've been wanting to do this because I met a ton of people in that yacht week that do what you're talking yeah. about. And, uh, so he was like, wanted he to live knew. vicariously through this yeah, with me. So he was already like on my side in the beginning. <laughs> I just didn't really understand it. Right. And so, yeah. So basically we just said, oh, we're going to work it out. And I said, I said, that's good because I had already bought the ticket. And then he kind of laughed. He was like, he's like, I kind of had a feeling you did the way that you smirked <laughs> when you asked how remote i remote. Like, what
0: if I did this?
1: <laughs> so, so, you know, like, so we set some ground rules, right? It was just basically, I said, let's start out and let's not change a thing. Let's right. go into it. I'll work the same hours, the same times. I'll do the same hard job. To do
0: Like, let's not minimize that. Working those night hours in Asia, because I've been with people who have done it. Like, so what hours Asia time were, were you working?
1: I worked I worked nine at night to five in the morning Monday yeah, through Friday. It's a twelve
0: hour different from East Time. So nine PM, yep. like what was that? That's not easy to do, but it was worth it. It wasn't to
1: you. the military trained me for that because when I was doing my watch standing duties and when I was deployed, I, I would actually always volunteer to do night shift because it was the like the coolest Easy, time right? of the day, <laughs> and then I'd sleep through the hottest time of the day. Um, you know, like I actually like winter more than summer, to be honest with you, even though I continue to go to tropical hot spots. Right. Um, so I was already kind of like going into it, like, I should do that. I can do nights, no problem. And it was fine for about four months. Right. But the one thing that would always catch me is I would work from a co working space at night, and it was like, it was empty and all mine, yeah. which was great. But on Fridays, uh, at about 5 o'clock, they'd walk around with a sign that said, close your laptops, let's go have a beer. And we'd go down to the beach bar and we'd have beers. And I would hop into that because it's like great networking and fun. Yeah, like and Georgia then about yeah. 8 o'clock would hit. And that's about the time that people started to turn up a little bit. And
0: I I I'd up. have to be <laughs> like,
1: man, I got to go home and work nine hours yeah. like on Friday oh, night. And I, I'm watching their Instagram stories as they're all out at the clubs. <laughs> and I'm jealous. I'm like, what the hell? So – Uh, we did it, but about four months into it, I did find, and I went four months into it and I basically was just like, I want to prove that I can do this so that when I do ask for a little forgiveness or a little flexibility, they already know that it's going to work out. And I always go into these things. And this is a lesson to learn in, in work in general, never go in complaining, always go in with a solution. You can complain, you can explain and you don't complain. You explain why it's trying on you. And then you explain how the a different solution that can fix yeah. it by potentially delegating tasks or shifting responsibilities or getting out of a meeting or whatever, you know. And so I went to Paul and I was like, hey, I'm so glad this worked out, but I have to let you know we are kind of getting to a breaking point in my sanity here. I kind of need to switch this up. I have some ideas. Um, I was like this, this other lady that I work with, I've already kind of talked to her about this. And I said like, we'd be okay with kind of shifting some responsibilities to get me off of some of the things that require meetings with engineers and some of the live calls with customers. And in exchange, I'll take on some of her content creation, things that can happen anytime. This is what we're down to do. She's in, if you're in. Do you want to try it? Yeah. And he didn't even like before we got off the call, he's like, let's give it a show. Let's give it a go. As long as you're both cool with it. He's like, as long as the job gets done. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. It's a great advice to always come with a solution (laughs) that way. And we teach inside of our course too. It's like in those first months when you do it, you've got to over deliver. So like you said, it's like, you're more available. You're available all of those times. You do it for a while to see like, I'm willing to do it. I will do this. If I have to keep doing it, I will. And with all of those, you get to a breaking point where you say, you know, it's like, if you don't let me, then you're probably going to search for a new job. Or once you have that freedom. So it just, or maybe you go back or find a different time zone. Like there's always different solutions. So
1: Absolutely. so many great like,
0: things here. Yeah.
1: You have to leave your entitlement gone. They're not here yeah. to cater you. This is, no. this is your employer. Like yes. it's your responsibility. And you're the one that's going off the deep end and doing something radical that no one else right. is doing. So it's on you to make it work, not them to cater to you. The entitlement's yeah. gone. You got, you gave, you gifted yourself an amazing adventure, but you got to make it work. And that's on yeah. you.
0: Yeah, it's so great. I love all of these creative things. And it's such a good lesson for anyone listening. Like nobody owes us anything, right? If this is a life you want to live, you make sacrifices in some way, but they're so worth it in other ways. So like you said, you had to figure out your apartment, what you're going to do with all your stuff, like how to tell people how to address it, how to do, you know, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, you know, there's a million things. But on the other side, talk about why it was worth it. So you're talking about living, you know, you talked about some of the hard stuff, which I'm really grateful you did, because I never like to glorify, what sacrifices you have to make or the hardships that come with working, you know, night times in Asia, if that's what you choose to do, but talk about why I get goosebumps. I'm like excited to hear what you say, like, talk, cause I just love Bali so much and I love travel so much. You can hear it, but talk about why it was worth it. So you're saying four months of this, that's a long time to be working at nights. Like, what did you love about it? What was so worth it for you to live in Bali that you were willing to make all of these sacrifices to literally flip your life upside down and move to this time zone?
1: The, the the biggest thing the biggest thing that I got is that like the biggest thing that I've taken away from basically the whole nomad thing and it continues to bring it in is not just the friends and community, that, that's like the obvious answer, and that's what everyone's gonna say, and it's true. That is the super source. I'm talking to Marissa right now, it's a three and a half year friendship I would have never had.
0: Yeah. Um, but it's not I wanna remind you, Wade, like I feel like it's obvious to us now that friendship and, and like these relationships that you and I have, that you meet with all these amazing people along the way, like that was something I did not expect. Like, it, it wasn't what I did it for. I was like, I want to go to all the cool places. Mm-hmm. I thought it was about going to places. Um, yeah, you don't leave so because you want to make friends. You that. had
1: friends that you left. Yeah,
0: I had amazing <laughs> friends. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, um, it's not a super obvious one, but it is an amazing one.
1: The, the biggest takeaway that I got that's really opened my eyes to just like exploring even more, like not just like alternative lifestyles, but truly molding my own lifestyle is that I learned after going out there and meeting people in different cultures and different places and just different people's lives, not just like yeah. Balinese people, but other nomads that I met while out is that like the American dream is literally but one dream. And there are so many <laughs> other ones. And guess what? Most of the people that you meet don't really want your american dream no. that's actually not true <laughs> they might want to grab some highlights from it like your your salary and your ability <laughs> to get jobs and your opportunities and like this freedom that you can like you can pursue and literally seize that's not so easy for other people but truly there's a lot of people that don't that don't think that your american dream is so smart anyways especially when you start <laughs> talking to nomads that kind of have already gotten off the beaten path that yeah. that is like what we call this american dream and i just learned that There's so many other dreams out there Mm. and you don't have to grab somebody else's, but truly you figure out what your dream is, what will make you personally happy. And then you see, you especially see like more of the veteran style nomads. Like you go through this learning thing, I think when you're a new nomad and you're just kind (laughs) of like, you're like Velcro, you're latching on to other things and you're trying it out. You're testing things out, but eventually you kind of take little sprinkles of all of that and then you sort of add it into like, what the hell is important to me? And then you see that like a veteran style nomad, someone that's got a few years into the game, they live their life. And it only matches other people's lives that they meet so closely, but it has gaps in it because we all find different importance in our life. So like to me, you know, I stuck around in Bali for quite a while. I wasn't a super traveler. Like to be honest with you, the travel is one of the most least interesting parts of my nomad Mm -hmm. life, to be honest with you. I'm not a travel quick type person i stayed in bali for nine months like my roots i just grew roots there because that's what i knew it was like easy for me so i really focused in but you know things that i loved were i love getting around on scooters every day i just like oh, the whole it. world it just like lives on scooters there and i thought it was fun i loved it freedom actually comes at the cost of no rules like you can actually die in bali like for real for real like it's it's not like it's dangerous like not i don't mean like die by crime and stuff like that but like your scooter could just like fall into a pit you could just like step into a hole and you don't know where that hole goes like it's kind of weird like sidewalks don't technically exist but even though they're sort of there oh my gosh um, it's a free-for-all there yeah it is and like i love that like in america like all dogs have leashes in bali all dogs might have collars but none of them have leashes and no. a lot of them don't have collars and the collars no. just mean that someone feeds them at the end of the day but truly and they like to hop on live...
0: your scooter they ride around on the beaches like the dogs there <laughs> adopt you life. you don't adopt dogs it's like i want to live with you now okay <laughs> well,
1: they got their they got their own thing it's so cool yeah. um You know, just seeing other celebrations, seeing cultural activities, really getting into it. The Balinese people, I think that there's like this interesting bit where like, we kind of invaded, but we also brought money and opportunity. But at the same time, um, a lot of us, I I was definitely one that's very respectful to cultural activities and not just that, I wanted to get into it. So oftentimes I'd be scooting around and you just like stumble on like a festival sort of event, some sort of thing that's happening in one of the temples. And what's so cool is like, there's no like cost of entry. You just park and you just kind of walk in with like wandering eyes and they just bring you in. Like yeah. you just you just get to to feel it. And it's yeah. cool. And I just love I just feel like you it felt like I wasn't allowed to do that before <laughs> nomad stuff. Like even in my local towns, it felt like right. you had to be a part of the group somehow. But now I've learned, especially coming back to New York now with that state of mind, that kind of going in with wandering eyes, you're actually more welcomed into almost everything that you encounter. And so- You know, New York is one of the most wonderful places I've found because it doesn't matter. I love walking around the city and you take a left turn and there's just something happening for whatever reason. Yeah. And you just walk into it and you are a part of it. There's no yeah. private group only. What's right. the password? Did you pay the ticket? Like like none of that really exists. I'm I mean, sure maybe it you took, have to buy a ticket. Yeah. But, it's so um, great that it
0: took nomading to even like people say when you when you leave and come back home. Like, it doesn't change, but you change, right? And I never really understood that before, but that's a great even just one example of what that means. Whereas had you never gone to Bali or nomading, you might be in New York and, you you know, you still appreciate some things, but you might not enter those cultures in the same way, not having to put yourself in those other places and try that. And the other thing I really love about what you say, it's like, yeah, I think from the American-centric view, we do assume, like, everyone wants the American dream to rise to the top of... The corporate this and do that and whatever and it's like a lot of people I meet from you know that's what I was surrounded with my whole life and I didn't know better until I left and to live with so many other nomads from all over the world they're like like we don't want that like it, they don't at all and so yeah. it's fun to start to see that and I love that you said it's almost like kind of pick your own thing and that's definitely something it's one of those added benefits I never realized I'd have for myself traveling it's like you really get out of the rules of your own society and your own culture and your parents and your family and your friends and your school and everything and it's like you see people living all of these different ways and even you said like you can live for nine months at a time you can live for a week at a time you can pick and choose what hours you want to work and what you want to do and it's suddenly seeing all these people I felt the same when I went to Bali it was like wow like you just want to work four hours a day and you do okay like you just want to work four days a week or one day a week or surf every morning. It's like everyone gets to do whatever they want. And people, I think Bali is a really quintessential place to visually see people doing that. And it changed my way, my, my world in that same way too.
1: It's so true. Like you'll find the hustle and grind cultures. Of course, that that's a part of like the digital nomad because a lot of it is an entrepreneurial journey. It does come with that Western connection to want to like rise to the top and, you know, uh, hustle porn and all that is like a thing but then you'll also meet people that make a thousand dollars a month and surf nine hours a day and right. they're not they don't feel like failures they feel like they've won the game yeah and so like it's, it's such a cool out. perspective yeah. like you get a nice reality check that like oh million dollars doesn't have to be the goal and look how happy you are maybe right. i want to surf nine hours a day too you know right and that's great
0: yeah Love it. So mm-hmm. from there, you and I met, I think, not too long after that on Nomad Cruise. How did yeah. you end up? Yeah. Talk about your transition from Bali to Nomad Cruise and our <laughs> uniting, <laughs> our meeting.
1: Yeah. So that's an interesting story. I uh, I went on a date with a girl named Pia uh, in Pia. Bali. Hi, Pia. And <laughs> we you, know, we you know Pia. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went on a date with Pia. Uh, I met her. I met her at one of those beach and beers. And then we went on a date. And then after the date, it was a really cool date. And then after the date, basically, she said, like, I just want to let you know, I'm leaving in like three (laughs) weeks to go on this thing called Nomad Cruise. And I'm like a hopeless romantic in general. So uh, like, I went home that night and thought about and I was like, well, she could just leave. And then that's the end of it. Or, or wouldn't it be a really cool story if you just like went <laughs> went with her? And so I like asked her like I think a day or two later, and I was like, "What if I? What if I went on Nomad Cruise too?" And you know, and she's like, "Yeah, you can. It'd be cool." And so I did. Like, <laughs> I just I like it. I, I literally went to Nomad Cruise to just see what would happen with Pia, right. and then you know, we we chatted a bit still, and then we reconnected in the Canary Islands where the where the where the boat was taking off, yep. and when we when we were in uh grand canaria we went on a date and then kind of realized like there really was no chemistry here (laughs) you know it was like this is cute like you're a good friend but there's really no chemistry romantic chemistry so i got on the cruise just kind of like well I bought the ticket right. let's just see what this thing is and there not, you are I, I wasn't Spain, really like
0: I'm cruise. going for the conference <laughs> I'm going
1: to learn I, I had a job I was doing this thing I didn't really need like talks like I didn't feel like I needed a conference so I was like let's just get on worst comes to worst alcohol was included let's just go party with a bunch of nomads and so you know I just I got on the <laughs> boat and I had a heck of a wonderful time and then you know that's right. where we met and um to, to kind of transition a little bit I I did enjoy the talks quite a bit and I very much enjoyed your talk and your story when you talked about your journey and it, and it resonated and I empathized with a lot of your start your 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 frustrations and kind of like when you hit sort of like you're against the wall moment as right. well I like I felt that against the wall <laughs> moment and yeah. um and you talked about Pepsi and you talked about you know like the like your jobs and so at the end of it I was like I felt like I felt like life coaching was like, woo-woo, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> What's a life coach? I'm doing just fine. And then by the end of that talk, I was kinda like, oh my God, I think I'm broken too. And I just like came up and I was like, Hi Marissa, my name's Wade. I think I need your help. <laughs> that was how we like that was the introduction. I, love it.
0: I loved that so much. And I even mm-hmm. I as a life coach, I even hate calling so many times because there is such a cliche like mm-hmm. thing around it. And it's really fun. i love if you're able to talk about What it meant to you and just some of like, like highline, just like what, what coaching is, because some people are like, what's a coach? Why do I need one? That's cliche. But I love that sharing my stories are so powerful. And I hope anyone listening to your story can connect in the same way. Because Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like, we're all people relating. And so, yeah, I, I remember very specifically saying that you're like, I'm Wade, I heard your story like, we need to know each other. And I was, like, I was yes. like, we need to
1: talk, I think. <laughs> I think I'm supposed chat. to talk to you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I think I'm supposed to talk to you. Yeah. We did. We So you were my client for a while. We are coaching. Mm-hmm. So yeah, talk about a little bit about what that was like.
1: So so the the big thing that I got from this and from you, Marissa, and why I just love that we continue to have this friendship yeah, is, I
0: love
1: it so much. You, know, you know, it was, it was for, for me, I think it was less about us establishing plans because every time we'd make a plan, I was pretty good at breaking all of yes. the things that we had like <laughs> promised, We'd come back like the next month and be like, well, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I got this. other things to talk about. Yeah. And you know, really what it was was uh, I'm very good about opening up. And yes. I can open up with my friends and family and speak my feelings and truths. Like that's always been kind of easy to me, but it always felt like it came from a side of bias with friends and family. Mm, and with you, yeah. I felt like I actually got, it was like a therapy kind of thing. It felt yeah. like I got to talk to somebody who has my best intentions at mind, doesn't know too much about me and feels like they have the answer based on my past. Right. And so when I would like tell tell you things, your replies were just much more, you'd ask me follow-up questions and right. actually let me continue to, and I think that's what therapy is, right? It's not about them fixing you. It's about them getting you to say the things that you probably need to hear right. um, you say and uncover and maybe ask you a question that your friends and family just don't necessarily, they don't walk you down that path. And you walk me down that path, which was just like, that was the best part. That It wasn't the, the takeaway homework. It was like the one hour I had to just like, let's just wrap a bit. And then you were the person that I got to rap to honestly and openly. And I felt even more open with you because I just felt like when I'm done saying whatever I'm about to say, you're going to ask me something that no one else is going to ask me and make me talk more. That was the bit. I love (laughs) it. That was the value.
0: As I think about that, way, it's so helpful. I love just hearing other people's take on it. Um, When I think about therapy versus coaching, therapy is really like, Let's get into your past. Why are you doing what you're doing? And that's a little bit important. Like, it's helpful to know that for coaching. But to me, it's all about, one, how do you take where you are and move forward? Like, I almost, it's it's nice to know about your past, but if we erased it, I still want to know where are you today and where do you want to go and how do we get you there? And I think therapy sometimes can stick in the past somewhat. Not all therapy is the same. And the other thing that you really mentioned with coaching, it's like, it's, it's not about me knowing the answers, right? That's what mentors are for. And there's some clients I have that want to do what I've done. And it's a little bit more mentoring, but as a coach, it's really like you have the answers. Like you as Wade, only you have your own answers. And I'm trained to say like, how do I keep asking you those questions for you to uncover it yourself? So I love that that's kind of your takeaway too. And um, it's so fun to be able to work with someone who's as open as you to really think like, what do, it's almost when I think back to your friend Tiffany, who's like, what do you really want? And to me, it's almost, It's easy.
1: It was the question I mad. needed to hear so I yeah. could f- say the answer out loud, right? Yeah. It gave me the microphone to finally speak to someone. And when I knew when I was going to say that, I wasn't going to get some biased crap. Like I wasn't going to – she just wanted to he- – really, she just wanted to call me out and be like, stop bitching to <laughs> me. I'm your friend. You know what I mean? She right. was just like, what get you your negativity out you of my friend. head.
0: Like, right. I didn't make
1: friends with you because you were negative. I made friends with you because you were positive, right? You know, yeah. Like, <laughs> but those simple um,
0: questions can can really change it. Yeah. And to me, the easy part is actually we all kind of, I think, not always, but most of the time we know what we want. We're afraid to say it or haven't said it out loud. Or there's so many things that hold us back. So the first part is like, get that out there. Let's say like, what do you really want? And then let's get really honest, like what's holding you back? Like what are those yeah. things and, and dig into it. So. Yep. That's and the other fun. thing too, is
1: I don't need you to diagnose me. Like I right. don't need you to add a pronoun or to add <laughs> a proper noun in there to, uh, to diagnose me because truly I don't need a diagnosis. Then I, right. the diagnosis, I feel like just allows me to lean into something and say, it's that mm, fault. Like, right. I don't need that. I, and you know, a lot of it goes into like, I, my podcast is a daily podcast journal thing. Right. And that truly Like the value of that is I'm, I, I even say it a couple times, like I go, to be honest with you, this actually isn't for you. This is actually for me. Uh, When I listen back to this, this makes me think a little deeper about the thing I just had on my mind. Right. This is a cathartic experience is really what the whole thing is. Yeah. And and a lot of it goes into the same thing that like you just asked me questions like that made me say more things that I needed to hear myself say.
0: And we'll get um at the end, we're going to share your daily podcast because it's so much fun and I listen to it and I love it. And one thing I do notice that you do is like you, you're able now to ask yourself those own questions and like everything I want to do when I coach people, it's like, how do you train you to get your own answers? And sometimes it's helpful. Like I work with a coach because it's helpful to have someone ask questions to you sometimes, but like in your podcast, I love, you can literally see your own wheels turning of like, you like say a statement. You're like, wait, is that true? Like, wait, what if I did this differently? What if I, it's like you question yourself now and your podcast sometimes seems like, Yeah, like your own kind of coaching yourself through these things, which is is Mm -hmm. so fun. So
1: I'm just like thinking out loud, really. And because I'm kind of going into it, like I don't think about like, what do the listeners want to hear? I'm like, what what do wine what's on my mind right now. And then also, if like someone does say, can you speak on this? It's like yeah and really what they're actually saying is like wade like truly what I'm hearing is like Wade would you like to uncover more about this topic with yourself and then I just like say it you know like <laughs> it's, it's kind of greedy in a way yeah. but it values other people because you know you can hear you can hear the gears kind of turning
0: yeah but and, what you mm-hmm. share is so unusual I think that you have the courage to be far more vulnerable publicly than a lot of people do and I think that's what I gain the most from listening even as a coach like I love listening to your podcast because it makes me think about my own stuff, because you're so vulnerable about like the own, you know, pros, cons, weaknesses, hardships, good, bad, otherwise. And like you, a lot of people I think on social media just share like the final result and output. And like you share the wheels turning the whole way. Like even when you haven't solved it as you're solving it. And I think a lot of people I speak for myself, but I would imagine it's the same for others can really listen to their own. Like you can apply your own stuff because you're like, wow. And what does that mean for me? And so Mm -hmm. it's so fun
1: to listen to the thank you the, the the one thing that i get from it is like i'm not i'm not like immune to judgment or like someone saying a negative comment and that not affecting me that's not a true that's not true right. at all that that will affect me as well but what i've just learned from this experience and like doing this is that the benefits that i get from hearing myself say these sort of <laughs> things completely outweighs any of the negatives that are coming my way and yeah right. some someone's someone's shitty comment will affect me it totally yeah. will like i'm not immune people say like i don't care what people think that's right like, i don't know about them but
0: yeah
1: right. i do care what people think and right. their negativity will affect me but the benefit i get from hearing myself it just outweighs it. Right. Like it's it's worth taking a chance on getting some negative feedback just to get the positivity of yeah. me hearing myself awesome. work out a problem.
0: Yeah, it's like the same, it reminds me of like when you go to Bali, it's like the night hours are worth other things. It's like everything mm-hmm. is, what's, what's more worth it? I think even as I think about digital nomad life as a whole, there's so many things that can hold you back that it's like what what's worth it at the end of the day? So yeah. we have a little bit of time left, but talk to me about, so you've gone from Bali to Nomad Cruise, how did you go and feel free to like pop in a couple other like travel places you went briefly. And then how did that transition to being not a nomad right now? You're pretty yeah. permanently in New York city. What was that transition? Like,
1: uh, I'll give you some quick cliff notes. Cause yeah, there's a lot in between there. I know. And now, it's like, we just talk like... For
0: 17 hours. It's so, hard. <laughs> so many stories. uh, so, uh,
1: you know, with the, with the cruise that ended up getting us to Lisbon. Um, I went, uh, what did I do after Lisbon? I went back to Bali after that. Then I hopped on another nomad cruise that went from Barcelona to Brazil. Mm -hmm. And during that one, I met a girl who became a girlfriend. Uh, Then basically I said, I'd like to date you. I'm going to go back to Bali. You're Ukrainian. If you want to be with me, just come to Bali. So she came to Bali and then we were going to go on a third nomad cruise when the pandemic started. And we stopped over to Istanbul uh, to just like enjoy before going to Colombia. And then that's when all the lockdown <laughs> happened. And it was like, hey, you know, the nomad cruise is canceled. Why don't we just enjoy this Istanbul thing for a month? And then, you know, we'll move on from there. And four months later, we finally left Istanbul because of the lockdown. And um, we went to Ukraine because that was kind of another place we could go. It, she right. was worried about going to the States. uh because of her visa and like the way the rules were with the COVID stuff. So we went to Ukraine. And then after that, I was quite homesick. I had a new job and I wanted to go to New York city. So I said like, let's just go, let's just give it a shot. We came to New York city and got this apartment and then things just, you know, you know, truly going into a deep relationship during time of pandemic can be a savior because, Oh my God, you actually have someone close to you in a time when everyone's away from you. But also it, very, very much sped up a relationship to a very uncomfortable level. I have been dealing with my own crap that came with me <laughs> into this relationship as well. And right. so we ended up having a breakup. Uh, when that happened, I finally, for the first time, and it's what I talked about in my podcast today. I talked Ooh, about this like moment where this my, my up against the wall moment was like, I got out of that relationship and I was like, all right, Wade, what you learned when you were getting out of this relationship is that you're pretty messed up yourself, and before you go adding another person to the equation, maybe you ought to just figure some of yourself out first <laughs> and it's the first time that I actually started to like do some introspection, like some true introspection like I read the self help I wrote the question right. down i've done this stuff, but this is the first time where I like sat on the couch for a half an hour and actually thought in my head about the things I was thinking about like for the first time and that's been that's been a few months now, and it's just taken me on. The coolest journey I've ever been on in my life right now wow. is like happening right now, and um, I just love it. So, so that's how I became like a non-nomad. Was basically pandemic slowed mm-hmm. everything down, and I came back to a home base. Um, and now I have this place, and I love having a home base. But I am starting to get that travel itch. Yeah. But now when I go back out, I know I'll do it differently. I will keep a home base because I love having a place to call home even one living in new york city we went to mexico and would live there you know for a couple months and then i'd come back and i just love the feeling of opening up the door and all the stuff was still where i left it and like yeah. i just slept in my bed and i knew where my coffee was and Creature comforts were there. Oh, and so <laughs> now I want to leave for a couple of months and then I want to come back to just serenity and like hide away from not tell any, not talk to anybody for a month and just like, yes, not just decompress, but just like think about all the stuff that just happened and how amazing yeah. that was before I start worrying about where am I going to go next. Right. Because um, even when you stay somewhere for three months, about a month and a half into it, you got to start thinking about where you're going next. Right. So um, not that that's a worry, but. It does occupy, occupy mind space during that. Yeah. It. And it's nice to be able to not have to worry about that. And the pandemic was a gift with that because in the pandemic, once you were stuck somewhere, I didn't actually like, have to worry about going anywhere and it felt good. <laughs> it felt good. Like in Istanbul, we were sort of stuck, but right. it felt good to be stuck.
0: <laughs> it's so funny. I remember, Now that you say that, I forgot that I felt this way, but I was in Mexico when the pandemic happened and I went back to Atlanta where I'm from. And it was, everyone was like, you know, Marissa, you're the travel. Like, you know, everybody wanted to travel, but everyone kept asking, you know, all my friends from home were like, Marissa, like, you're the traveler. Like, isn't this so hard? And for a couple months, it did get very hard. But the first, I would say two, three months, like I was pretty burned out. I had been traveling for years. I was exhausted, like go, 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 which I loved, but it does get really tiring. And I remember that first time thinking, it's kind of like, you know, those days where it's like raining outside, and you're like kind of grateful because you're like, oh, like I should be day. going outside. But like, no, you are not missing so. anything.
1: No FOMO when yeah, it's raining. Yeah, no
0: FOMO. I have FOMO of the world. Like I've got it <laughs> bad. And so that when the, when the pandemic first hit, I was like, this is the first time. Like I, I don't have friends who are popping all over. I don't have 17 people telling me to come to a different country, which I love. But it was kind of, rela- it was like that rainy day where I was like, okay, this is nice. Like I can relax, but it. Like I, I can't go anywhere. So I'm not missing out on anything because otherwise I'm like, I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to go there. And it's like, it's, it's hard. So it's cool mm-hmm. that you kind of experienced that as well. And now you've seen a different way to do it. And um, I want you to talk a little bit like about what your vision looks like for that before we wrap up. Um, because, but I think for anyone listening, whether you're a nomad now or thinking about living the nomad life, I mentioned in the beginning, there's such a preconception that like once you sell it all and put yourself in store, your stuff in storage, it's all or nothing. And as people, you know, you mentioned in Bali, it's like you get to make of it what you want. And I've noticed that too, like now that I know hundreds of nomads, you know, some people love not having any base and being in a different place every month or three months or whatever that looks like. And other people, you know, have done all the travel for a long time. And now are like, okay, I've got my home base. I'm going to go for a month and come back. I'm going to go for two months and come back. And it's like, you kind of crave that, that space that you're talking about where like, I have a home, I have stuff, I'm grounded somewhere. So yeah. what does that look like to you now?
1: Yeah. Um, well, let me just say like, I'll say like, I believe that it's any way you want to go and yeah. it's completely personality based. In my personality, I am kind of sometimes an all or none person until I learn what the middle ground is for me. Like I need to taste the edges in order <laughs> yeah, to figure out like where I'm supposed yeah. to live in the middle. So the all or none it excites me like I believe I have a bit of an adult ADHD and one thing that I've learned in my research is that I do I do thrive on that that thrill it's like a lot of times like getting into new relationships also might not be because I want to be in one but I want to be in the thrill of getting in a new relationship (laughs) so that is something I've learned through this journey (laughs) to know
0: by yourself yeah
1: for sure so going to Bali and doing it all or none, selling it all and doing it like I needed to feel that in order to know where I'm supposed to live in the middle ground my middle ground goldie (laughs) Like, totally, yeah, you're right. Hot, cold in the middle, yeah. yeah. Um, and my, mine is very much this middle ground where I love to have a home base to uh, go to. I love to be able to close the door in the windows and like and and do that like work in sweats and not talk to anybody yeah. in a completely silent house. I love yeah. doing that sometimes. And other times, I want to just talk to everybody. You know, I'm just I'm all <laughs> over the place. But I love. Giving myself this sort of hybrid travel experience gives me the freedom to have whatever I want at the moment that I want it. Um, right. Then working hard and saving money gives me the freedom to get the thing when I want it. Right. Because yeah. you know it costs money. Like the more free you want to be, as in the more free and fast you want to make decisions, typically costs more money. Right. If yeah. you book a if you book a flight tomorrow for tomorrow, it's going to cost more than a week ago. Right. That freedom costs a bit more, and like that just can continues to exponentially build so to me like having savings and working hard gives me the freedom to make impulsive decisions because sometimes my mood will change instantly and i'll decide i actually don't want to do that i'm going to scrap that trip waste a grand go back home and chill like and that's just because that's what i want and need and that makes me happy Mm -hmm. my middle ground now is like you know, I want to go to Mexico for a few weeks and see friends and kind of go down for more like purpose-driven things. Not just to go see, because the tourism thing is not really my thing. I don't yeah. go and people are like, What'd you do there? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't like know. I went to cafes and worked and stuff. Like yeah. I like I found a really cool a gym place. and uh oh yeah, I saw the Eiffel Tower. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like that's kinda like I don't do all the stuff. I don't climb right. all the mountains. That's right. just not my thing. Um I just like to go and sort of live and be mm-hmm. in it. I love walking around towns and cities and just I just love like walking around cities. It's like, that's kind of my tourist thing. And not to go see the sights, just to walk and see what I bump into. Um, So, you know, I'm thinking in November, I'm gonna go to Mexico. Why? I'm sort of on a bit of a fitness journey. My good friend, Serge is down there and I miss him. He's a big fitness guy that's really helped me out. And I'm like, I'd like to go down to just kind of like hang out with Serge and go to the gym for three weeks. Like people are like, well, you're gonna go to Mexico. What are you gonna do? I was like, probably go to the gym every day. That's what I wanna do. (laughs) You know, and then I met a ton of friends through the podcast. When I met um, this co-founder of an app, I'm, I'm jumping everywhere now. But <laughs> I met a co-founder for a dating app uh, that lives in London, and through sharing stories, I've met a ton of friends in London. And I'm like, I want to go to London for like a month, and I want to try and meet all these people I met on Instagram in real life because they all have beautiful accents and. <laughs> They're so expressive. And I'm like, I want that expressiveness in it. like in that front of me.
0: Expressiveness. I love
1: so, it. So I want to go to London not to see anything. I just want to like talk to all the expressive people I met online. Like that's the goal It's just to and go talk to the people. Yeah. And I can. So this hybrid life will be this jump out for a reason and then jump back and then, you know, and not like what do I want to do next? What do I want to do next? Just like live my life and then see what jumps out next and be yeah. like, hey, you know, it'd be really cool. I'd like to go see the Olympics. I'm going to go to yada yada <laughs> for two weeks. And I'm just going to do the Olympic thing. That sounds fun, right? right. And, and you know, whatever, you know, whatever else. <laughs> I love that. That's, I, it's, that's how it it's seems. It's like what for me. I've
0: gained from travel too. I, I mentioned earlier, like I thought it was always going to be about seeing the Eiffel Tower, seeing the things, attend the things to do in other places, and it really does turn out to be like I just want to go see my friends, and they're going to be in this country. Like I love these people. I feel inspired by them. Or you know, so many people say like, how do you choose what country's next? And you're like, I don't know, someone someone is there and they tell me to come or I want to meet these people who I haven't met yet. And um, it's so cool that you, like as a nomad, it's like, that's what you have the freedom to do. Whether you stay in your hometown, whether you go you know, visit your parents for a month because you have the freedom to, whether you want to go across the world to Bali because you have the freedom to. It's like, you can do anything. And it's so cool that you're now living this hybrid life. So last question I have for people is, If someone is listening to this, they're not yet a nomad, and they're kind of like maybe just thinking about it or hearing about this. Like, what advice do you have for that person?
1: I mean, the first advice is if it's already in your head, it's an itch you need to scratch. (laughs) I mean, like, like you're gonna like you're gonna do it. You're you're gonna do it eventually. Like, I promise you, you're either gonna do it eventually, or you're gonna get old and regret that you did it. It's (laughs) gonna be one or the other. There's no middle ground. You're gonna scratch the itch, or you're not, and you're gonna (laughs) regret it. And that itch is not going to go away. I yeah. promise you. It you you it's something you need to fulfill. It's going to feel mm-hmm. like your destiny or something. And when you pull the trigger, your life's going to change in that moment. It's not when you go, it's when you <laughs> actually the pull the bumps. trigger because you just enabled yourself to go do the thing that you are scared. <laughs> You're both equal parts scared and yeah. excited to do, but now you did it. And I I honestly suggest this might be a personality thing as well but for for what it was for me is i needed to book the flight right. i didn't even go, i didn't even <laughs> research bali outside of watching youtube channels i had no idea what i was yeah. going into but that's the way that i live just like i, I said like <laughs> my favorite thing to do is to walk around a city and see what i bump into it's not an accident that's my favorite thing i don't research any place i go no, i want to just do. i yeah. want happenstance to happen i just want to go ooh cool and like yeah. do that you know like, oh wow that smells good let's go over there like yeah you know, i just like want to do that so i don't research stuff that's the way i roll um don't ask permission just do it the the, the minute they don't tell a single person until you put any money into it that's what Ooh, i'm gonna like say that. because that's you know great, what's gonna man. happen it's just everyone like will every tell you big, no and why not <laughs> they're, they're all scared to lose you everyone is scared to lose you and greedily yeah. they're gonna try to protect you and that just so means true. keep them close to you don't tell a single soul until you put money into <laughs> it yeah and I buy something that. non-refundable, <laughs> get, like 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 get yourself stuck. So you yeah, have to.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And just to touch on that, we we'll wrap up. But everyone really does try to protect you out of your best interest. I think there are so many people, whether it's family members or friends, it's like they want to be around you because they love you or they're scared of what you're going to do or not do or get hurt or not come back or whatever it might be. So I love that piece of advice that kind of like, if this is one, if this is your dream, it's not going anywhere and it's only going to get more and more and then you'll regret it if you don't too, just do it because it's what you want. And then it's like, ask for permission, tell people later, because everyone will give you a zillion reasons why you shouldn't. If you talk to the nomad world, we will all give you 10 billion reasons why it's like the best thing if you want, you know, I was, there's some people who don't want to live this life and like, that's okay too. You know, not trying to convince anyone, but if it's your dream, like, oh,
1: so yeah. great and and to the to the american people because we don't understand that people take vacations longer than 2 weeks a year um you could also go somewhere for 3 weeks or a month you could actually turn your work off it's called a leave of absence and if you are a good employee <laughs> oftentimes if you explain yourself right they'll give it to you
0: yeah that's how i started mine actually i took a sabbatical cuz i had a i was with a boyfriend at the time who moved across the country and i was going to move too and i was like and work remotely. And I was like, well, why not just take a two month break? And it was so much easier than I thought it was going to be. They're like, here's some papers, just sign here. I was like, wait, what? That's all? Like, it was like, I was taking a mini maternity leave almost just without a child, just to go travel. And I didn't realize how easy it would be. So yeah, like, I think that's great advice too. If you're thinking about it, like give it a shot, just like take a little break. It doesn't have to, you know, change everything all at once.
1: On top of a sabbatical too, if you do something like that where you do stop work and you go somewhere, go with a project. Don't just go on yeah. vacation. Go and feel what it feels like to work somewhere. Yeah, it's like, so different. Go, like go to a cafe like four days, uh, four days a week for three weeks. Like yeah. know what it feels like to live in a way that you will actually live because nomads aren't on vacation. Like they are working. It might look like vacation, but that's all they post.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is so different to actually, yeah, to go and work and you're just living in a different place and you get to live in as many places you want, which is so fun. So lastly, Wade, where can people one, listen to your podcast if they love your energy and they want to listen or anywhere else you want them to follow you, find you, where can they go?
1: So I would love it if you would go to any podcast provider you have and punch in Walk With Wade, and I will be a little black and white icon jumping up in the air on top of some steps. It is a daily 10 to 20 minute podcast, basically my thoughts, all of this energy, the whole goal (laughs) of it is an overarching goal is to send the energy through my voice, through the internet, out your speaker, into your mind to hopefully give you just a little extra kickstart in your day. That's the whole goal. It's a it's a little vitamin Wade in the morning. And um, if you enjoy that as well, then the other place I live is on Instagram. It's my name, at Wade Sellers, and uh, I just love it if you DM me. And uh, a lot of times your conversations will turn into a podcast episode, yeah. and we just have fun. We don't take any of this too seriously. You know, we just have fun.
0: It's so fun. Well, Wade, also happy birthday again. With a special, special way for me to be a part of your day. I'm so really honestly so honored. But I hope you have a fabulous birthday. Anyone listening, check out Wade on Instagram. It's so fun to follow and the podcast. I love listening to it. It is like a boost in your day for sure. So check it out if you're interested. Thank you for joining us today and have an amazing birthday.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. All right, that is
0: a wrap on our episode with Wade. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Wade is such an amazing, inspirational example of someone who has been traveling the world for years while getting a paycheck working as an employee for an existing company. So if this is something that you dream about doing as well, traveling to Bali, or wherever is calling your name, I think you're going to love our Go Remote Employment course at Beach Commute. So visit beachcommute.com slash GRE to check it out. Inside the course, we teach you everything you need to know to figure out which remote job is actually right for you, where do you find these remote job postings, how do you negotiate with your employer, how do you successfully work and travel as a digital nomad, everything you need to know to land that job and start traveling the world if that is your dream. So again, check out beachcommute.com/gre and if you're interested in just getting a feel for what are the most common jobs that digital nomads are doing, we've got a great resource at beachcommute.com/7jobs. So that's the number 7, the word jobs. And inside this guide, we will share the seven most common jobs that digital nomads in our community are doing so you can just start to get a feel for it. So check that out as well. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks, Wade, for joining us, and we will see you on the episode next week. Bye.